I'm David, and uh, I've been asked by Peter to say something about open-air evangelism. I can't remember the long title of the talk, because it's somewhere in my email in the past, but it's something about firing people up for evangelism, and that's something I very, very hope that by God's grace we can be encouraged to do that uh, now. Now, um, several months ago, some of us here went and we were witnessing at the London Pride March, uh, and... I need to say two things. First of all, I want to say this. If I make criticisms of churches in general, I'm not implying criticism of this church. I have not doing that. Um, because I probably will make some general criticisms of the church's attitudes to evangelism. But Peter and I, we stood with, um, with, with uh, David Carson there as well. We stood shoulder to shoulder preaching the gospel at Pride. And Peter had said to me beforehand, he said, he said when you see it, he said, you'll possibly think that we may be the only thing that's stopping God from pouring out his wrath on London on a day like this. Uh, and uh, when I got there and I saw for the first time what was going on, I couldn't believe that God wasn't pouring out his wrath on London. What Peter said was, was true, and uh, uh, absolutely. And Peter also said that uh, people would say, it's not loving of you, you just go there because you hate the people, you want to harm them. And this isn't true. P- Peter said to me, we love every single one of them. And we do. We love every single one of them. We see what's going on. We hate what's going on. But we long that they would have the same salvation that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. And there, was a, there were a whole load of things that happened. And by God's grace, he helped us, a group of preachers, to preach the gospel. And others who helped us out to preach for seven hours nonstop in a very hostile environment. People hated God. Uh, and... Um, and there was one point when uh, members of the armed forces, the army, the navy, the air force marched past and I was preaching and I, was at, I, I didn't know what to say. I didn't know what to say. And David, if you'll forgive me, I'm going to repeat your words. David said, please can I have the microphone? He stood up, he said, I was a warrant officer. I was in the military and I'm ashamed at what I see. Ashamed, ashamed at what the armed forces are doing. Now, we must get out and preach the gospel. We must get out and preach the gospel. I've been doing open air work for 40 years. And I've seen almost no fruit during that time. And what's my response to that? Keep going. Let the word of God go out. Let the gospel go out to the ends of the earth. Let's have confidence in what God's done. Let's let's believe that God is able to save the ungodly. And that every word preached is a seed sown. And that God will bring his fruit in his time. We believe that with all our hearts. And so we make no apologies for preaching the gospel and we make no apologies for going out and going out again and going into the difficult places and the hard places and the places where we're hated and despised and rejected. But we know also that so often we are in these days um, condemned even by the churches for preaching the gospel and it's not convenient. Let's read the word of God together. So please turn to Proverbs. If you've got a Bible, please turn to Proverbs chapter 1. Just read a few verses here and then a few verses of Proverbs chapter 8. Proverbs 1, verses 20 to 23. We're talking about wisdom, and I want to talk about wisdom and its relationship to the setting forth of the gospel. Um, So Proverbs chapter 1, 20 to 23. Wisdom crieth without, she uttereth her voice in the streets. She crieth in the chief place of concourse, in the openings of the gates. In the city she uttereth her words, saying, How long, you simple ones, will ye love simplicity? And the scorners delight in their scorning, and fools hate knowledge. Turn you at my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit unto you. I will make known my words unto you. And then, just further down, verse 33 of chapter 1. But whoso hearkeneth unto me shall dwell safely, and shall be quiet. 
quiet from, the, from fear of evil, or quiet from fear of evil. And then we turn to Proverbs chapter 8, verses 1 to 6. Again, this is speaking about the wisdom of God, and the Lord Jesus Christ is personified here as the wisdom of God in Proverbs chapter 8. Beautiful passage, glorious tra- passage, but let's read it. Verses 1 to 6, I wish you could read all of it, but, but we'll focus on 1 to 6. Doth not wisdom cry, and understanding put forth her voice? She standeth in the top of high places, by the way, in the places of the paths. She crieth at the gates, at the entry of the city, at the coming in of the doors. Unto you, O men, I call, and my voice is to the sons of man. O ye simple, understand wisdom, and ye fools, be of an understanding heart. Here, for I will speak of excellent things, and the opening of my lips shall be right things. Wisdom of God, but the wisdom crying in the streets. The wisdom of God. Jesus is the wisdom of God. And the gospel is able to make us wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Jesus Christ. So I'm not ashamed of preaching in the open air. I find it easier. I find it easier to stand in the open air than to stand in, in a pulpit. But that's me. But anyway, let's, let's look at this. Just, I was just going to run through a few reasons why we don't do evangelism. And a lot of people come to me and they say, I can't do evangelism, I don't know how. What do you suggest, David? Well, first of all, priorities. What are our priorities as Christians? In Acts 4, the church lived for the glory of God. They lived to make the Lord Jesus Christ known and they moved their lives around so that everything would be for the glory of God. And that's what they wanted, that's what they desired, that's what they lived for. Wrong priorities. We bolt Jesus and we bolt our Christianity, Christianity onto the rest of our lives uh, and we hope that God will bless it. Dithering. Well, I, I, could, I could do some evangelism at some point, I suppose. If I get round to it, I might be able to find time. Well, yes, okay. Procrastination. I'll do evangelism next week. Inability. I couldn't do any evangelism. I, I'm, not like, I'm not like that guy that stands in the street corner, but, you know, God's given me different gifts. Well, why don't I use those gifts? But no, no, inability, I can't do it. False fears. There's a lion in the street. True fears. I might get beaten up or arrested. Yeah, I might. Uh, that hasn't happened to me yet in 40 years, but uh, it might happen. And many Christians, many open-air preachers have been arrested in the last couple of years, and I can't recommend enough the work of the Christian Legal Centre, defending those preachers and maintaining us our freedom to stand on the street corner and preach Christ Jesus and him crucified. Laziness. Oh, I really can't be bothered. Somebody else can do it. <sighs> Disgust and pride. Oh, I'm not like those street preachers. Look at them. They're, they're, they're so unseemly. And uh, I'm not going to join with them because uh, that would be embarrassing. And uh, the, um, I was going to say... The Apostle Paul, but I meant John Wesley. Um, John Wesley said, I consented to become more vile and preach in the open air. That's what he did. And uh, God used him. Uh, used him mightily. But pride is very often, you know, my, 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 my boss might see me if I go out and do evangelism. <laughs> Ooh, my friends might see me if I go out and do evangelism. Oh, my children might see me if I go out and do evangelism. But I'm not ashamed of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, uh, but it's harder, it's harder to preach at home than it is to preach further away, of course. And then projection. Well, somebody else can preach the gospel. There are people who are more gifted than me and more fired up. And uh, I'm sure that somebody else will come along and do it. And so many of us are waiting until somebody else comes along and rescues us and rescues the cause of Christ and rescues the church. And everything's going to be fine and rosy because somebody else is going to do it. 
And, and is that what God's saying to us? So that's projection. Well, we need ministries that teach the word of God, and that must include the preaching of the gospel. And, and again, I'm, as I say, I was going to be critical. I've been to so many churches where I haven't heard the gospel preached, which have a reputation for being gospel-preaching churches. And that always fills me with sadness. And I think if we do all our, if we do all our fighting in the barracks, then we're not really understanding what it's like in the world. And nothing gives you a sharper edge than going out and engaging. And you'll find, actually, that people out there aren't, uh, aren't always the, um, the terrifying prospect that you think. There are a lot of people, when you preach the gospel, who want to speak to you. There are a lot of people who want to hear what you've got to say. Uh, and, again, if wisdom isn't crying in the streets, then, then they won't hear, and they won't have the chance to believe, and they won't find wisdom, and they won't turn, and they won't repent, and they won't believe, and they won't be saved. And I wonder how much preaching there is in our pulpits on gender fluidity now and these issues which are so exceptionally important. Whilst the world is under threat of nuclear war, people are telling me, you must not use the wrong pronoun. Uh Never mind those nuclear bombs. Don't use the wrong pronoun. And that's the absurdity of our nation. And that's the stupidity and the the foolishness that we've fallen into. And we have to stand against that. We have to speak against that. We have to cry out from the rooftops. Wisdom is found in this gospel, in this book, in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we long everyone else to know as well. We know it and we're we're beggars telling other beggars where to find bread. Life-giving bread. Now, I, I, in my head, I wrote a book on evangelism. And it's, it's an unusual book because this book only has one chapter. And the chapter has only got one paragraph. And the paragraph has only got one sentence. So I don't think it's going to be marketed. But it would be easy to print it. The, the sentence reads, Get a burden from God for the lost. And that's all it says, that whole book. Get a burden from God for the lost. How can I do evangelism? Can I do this? Should I do this? First of all, get a broken heart for those who are perishing. First of all, get that, 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 seek that God's love will be poured into you by his Holy Spirit. And I say to people, I say, if you've got a heart like that, you'll find a way. You'll have to find a way. And instead of saying, I can't do evangelism, you'll be saying, how can I do evangelism? People who know my testimony know that at the age of 12, uh, I was regularly travelling to school on the bus, and I found a chick tract. Oh, I don't like chick tracts. don't like chick. No, no, no. But that chick tract sowed a seed in my heart that enabled me to understand the gospel six years later when I was told the gospel, and I understood it. Somebody left it on a bus. Every, everybody could do that. Anyone could do that. It doesn't take a great deal of courage to leave a, a piece of literature on a bus. Um, or a train. So, God used that. That was a really, really important stage in my coming to the Lord Jesus Christ. But we're looking at open air. Now, we're looking at open air work. Now, of course, if we do evangelism and we're good Calvinists and we, we believe that the first and most important thing in evangelism is that we glorify God And I believe that with all my heart. The whole purpose of evangelism, the whole reason we go out, the whole desire to reach sinners, the whole desire to reach sinners in their sin and to call them to Christ is because we desire to glorify God. 
But we mustn't stop there. You see, there's a sort of feeling that glorifying God and loving sinners are two separate things. We glorify God when we love the lost. We glorify God when the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. Now, if we don't have that love, then what happens is, and we, we, have, we, have, we, we have this cold Calvinism, and I love the doctrines of grace, but we have this cold Calvinism that says that my purpose is to glorify God. We shuffle out into the open air, we make a statement of the doctrines uh, that we want to preach, and we shuffle back to our homes again and we say, wasn't that good? We did some evangelism. God was glorified. And it's a plain statement of the faith. But it's not, there's no love in it. We are re- resounding gongs. We are tinkling cymbals. I mean, if we are not motivated by love, then we are not sent by God. And if that love isn't the love that God pours into our hearts, then we may as well not bother. So, yes, we glorify God first. That's our desire, to glorify God first. But... We cannot separate glorifying God by the preaching of the gospel from glorifying God through loving those who are perishing. Every one of them, every single sinner. I don't know who God's elect are. I know they're out there. That gives me great confidence in preaching the gospel. I know that he will accomplish and bring those to salvation whom he wants. But I don't know who they are. But we preach the gospel indiscriminately. To all, calling all to repentance, assuring all of the promise of salvation and also all of the certainty of damnation if they will not repent and turn from their sins. Now, loving sinners and preaching to sinners because we love them, I don't see how you can do evangelism without love. It's the only possible motivation. You can go out in fair weather and preach without love. But if you're going to go there again and again, if you're going to go there and you're going to take the flack and you're going to take the criticism... Or you're going to be put in prison, or you're going to be tortured, or you're going to be put to death. Or you're going to be put out on the street, or whatever it is. Only love will take you there. And that love must come from God. Now, in Romans chapter 5, we read that it was whilst we were yet sinners that Christ died for the ungodly. That's love. Love for the unlovely. Love for the unworthy. Love for the corrupt. Love for the ungodly. Love for the vile. Love for people like you and me. That's why we go out, because when we go out and we love sinners and we preach the gospel with our motive of love and we are broken hearted and compelled to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, then our actions are glorifying to God. So, yes, the first purpose of evangelism is to glorify God and we glorify God when we love sinners and go to them with hearts flaming with love towards them and love towards God and a desire for his glory and a desire for their salvation. It's absolutely inseparable. But I say that because I've come across those who think that you can glorify God simply by, uh, what you, by, by stating the gospel but don't seem to have cottoned on to the idea that, um, that love is really, really important. Now I've mixed up my notes, but don't worry about that. I'm used to doing that. Um, so, okay, so what I was going to say there is this, that if we want power in preaching, I know what's happened here. Okay, uh, if we want power in our preaching, then we must pray. This is, this is the thing I wanted to say. I wanted to say that... that There's only one person that we need to persuade. When I go into the open air, there's only one person I'm seeking to persuade in my evangelism. And it's not the pastor, and it's not the elders, and it's it's, it's not me, and it's it's not the person I'm preaching to. Oh, I'd love to persuade them, and I'll try to persuade them. 
The only person I have to persuade in my evangelism is Almighty God. And this is the thing, we want to do evangelism, we do a spot of evangelism, we do a bit of evangelism, we feel we ought to do some evangelism, and we do some evangelism, and then later on we might do some more. But what about God? I decided, and I have, I have decided in my ministry, and I, I'm not setting myself forward as an example because I am a, a fallen creature, but saved by grace, that the person I have to persuade is God. We long for God to come back to our nation. We long for him to pour out his Holy Spirit on our churches, on our pulpits, on our ministers, on our congregations, on the people in our land, on the Muslims, on the Catholics, and bring them to Jesus Christ, to submit to the Lord Jesus Christ and recognize his grace and the mercy and his atoning sacrifice on the cross. So the only person I'm seeking to, 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 to persuade is God. Because if God doesn't come down, if he doesn't rend the heavens and return to us, then we're finished anyway. And it's his cause. Not our cause, it's his cause. So how do we, how do we persuade God? Now, of course, in an absolute sense, we can't persuade God. Because God is sovereign and he does what he chooses. But we should live as if we could persuade God. That's what prayer is. Uh, and what we must do is we must show God in our prayer lives that we're serious about seeing him come down, that we long to see him come down, that we want to see him come down. We cannot go on without him returning to us. We cannot live without him. We're living in a day of small things. Oh, Lord, where are you? Come down. Have mercy. I preach in the open air and they laugh and they mock. Oh, Lord, come down. So in our prayer lives, we must seek to persuade God. And, does, and the question then is, is our prayer life, is our prayer life reflecting that? Do we pray like that? And then we should preach like that as well. And as I said, in the open air, the objective, and we, we, we're all fallible and weak, and um, <laughs> such, such, such a, such a, a story there, but... We're fallible and weak, but in the open air, we should preach as dying men to dying men, but we are preaching to persuade God. And this is so when I'm preaching, yes, I know there are sinners there, and I know I'm preaching the gospel to them, but I'm preaching to God, and I'm saying, Lord, I want to show you that I'm serious about reaching these people with the gospel. And if I'm serious, oh Lord, are you serious? Will you come down? Will you speak to these people? Will you have mercy on them? Will you deliver them in their lostness and in their ruin and in their damnation? Will you show us the Lord Jesus Christ? Will you open their eyes, Lord? And so I should pray and I should preach as one who wants to persuade God that I am serious about this, that this is my life, this is what I live for. And so if there's one thing I'd want to emphasize, if there's one thing I'd like to, um, uh, you to take away from this talk, it's this, that I really believe that the person that we have to persuade is God. And the reason is, if God doesn't work, nothing will happen. If God doesn't return to us, we can't do in our strength, in our own strength, what, what needs to be done. It's impossible. Absolutely impossible. Another story from London Pride. And, and there was, um, there was uh, our, our excellent brother, uh, John um, Sherwood. And he was standing there and he was holding up a board with, with a text on it like that. And he stood there and I watched him. And about an hour later, he was still standing there. And I thought, I couldn't do that because my arms would get tired and I start to ache. And I... So I said, John, how? And he's in his 70s. And I, I said, John, how did you manage to do that? And he said, he said, I'm a dead man, David. He said, and dead men don't feel discomfort. And I thought, that's extraordinary. 
It's extraordinary. Um, but, you know, we are dead men. And dead men don't feel discomfort. They go, they go out and they preach. And on a, on a, a, years ago I decided this, and I'm, as I'm getting older I'm finding it's harder to do this, but I decided that I would preach the gospel in any weather that people would shop in. And try as I might, I've never found any weather that people won't shop in. Um, so I find myself preaching in heavy snow, I find myself preaching in boiling hot sunshine, in, in, in torrential rain. And every single time I went out, God did something with that preaching. Somebody heard, somebody listened. And the Lord sowed seed through that. Are we serious? Are we seeking to persuade God? Or are we doing a spot of evangelism? Because we feel we ought to. We need to persuade God. So fervent prayer for the ungodly. That's how we persuade God. Lord, we're serious about praying for them. We're serious about seeing the breakthrough. We're serious about you coming down. We can't, we can't, God is sovereign. God will work sovereignly where he wills, but he delights in our prayers and he delights in, in hearing our prayers. And, and, and we have confidence in the gospel in this day. This is still the gospel of Jesus Christ and this is still the gospel age. If we were Isaiah, we'd be saying, preach them that they'll be ever seeing, uh, you know, uh, not, not, not seeing and not hearing there would be, he would be preaching a hardness into their hearts. But we're not living in the days of Isaiah. We're living in the gospel age. And we have strong confidence in this gospel of Jesus Christ. That's how I can keep going after 40 years. In fact, I'm more determined than ever by God's grace that the gospel should be preached in our day. Because I know that as we look out and we see the disruption and we see what's going on in the world and we see uh, all the things that people are worrying about and the breakdown of our society where people are more concerned about preferred pronouns and nuclear bombs being dropped on their heads, that God can break into this situation. It's, and it's not, as I say, I'm probably using a charismatic term, that God, if he chooses to, can sovereignly arise and turn this nation again. And that's what we pray for. That's what we long for. That's what we desire. Do we pray for it? Do we believe it? Am I trying to persuade God that I am serious about this? The only person we have to persuade is God. How would you persuade God? No, loveless hearts will never persuade God. We are like the Lord Jesus Christ when we love sinners and we go to sinners. And the more we love sinners, the more like the Lord Jesus Christ we will be fervent in the preaching of the gospel and preaching for repentance as well. I've lost count of the number of people who come up to me in the open air, smile at me and say, you're doing it wrong. You need to tell people that God loves them. Why do I need to tell people that God loves them? They already believe that. If there is a God, he loves me. Someone else said, and quite rightly, and I believe this with all my heart, if you love sinners, you will preach about sin. And that's what we're not hearing. That's what we must hear in these days. If you love sinners, you will preach about sin. So we need to be concerned to persuade God. Now, I'm just going to close this with just a quick list of all the places that wisdom, all the places that wisdom lifted up her voice in Proverbs chapters 1 and 8. So um, because... I cannot, I think, again, this is my own experience, but there's less, less opposition to open-air preaching now than there was 
Somehow it's gone silent, but certainly 30 years ago, you would very often be told off for preaching in the open air by churches. You shouldn't be doing it. Wait till the church does it. We'll go out there. We'll take a band with us. We'll have guitars and all sorts of stuff. Not just straightforward preaching of the gospel, but we really, really don't want you to do it on your own. And I said, in the end, I just decided I couldn't wait because, um, because the gospel had to be preached. But, but that, that this was my own experience, time and again, held back, stopped. But... And, and there was a sense as well, uh, people were embarrassed by this. And they said, well, if you go into the open air, then you might, um, you might upset somebody. And my Bible tells me that there is an offence in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I'd be worried if I didn't upset somebody. Not that we want to upset people. We don't. We have no desire to upset people. But we hope that the gospel will, will, will cut them to the bone and, and, and bring them under conviction. And then they'll be upset. But this, with Proverbs chapter 8, verse 1, we read, for example, here, sorry, yeah, Proverbs chapter 1, and we read that, first of all, um, that she cries without. Now, of course, it's right to preach the gospel in our churches, but wisdom cries without. Uh, in verse 20 of Proverbs 1, uh, and she uttereth her voice in the streets. So if that's the case, I don't think the man who preaches in the streets is a fool, because wisdom utters her voice in the streets. I lived in Aberdeen for eight years, and it was said that there used to be a street preacher in every street. Aberdeen has fallen a long, long way from that now. The same was said of Glasgow. Street preacher, every road in Glasgow had its own preacher. It's fallen a long, long way from that now. But wisdom cries out in the streets. She uttereth her words, saying, um, how long you simple ones. But, and in the chief place of the concourse. Isn't that our town centres today? Maybe outside our city halls or our town halls. In the chief place of the concourse. That's where wisdom utters her voice. Her words. At the openings of the gates. At the important places. The places where the people come. Perhaps shouldn't say this, but um, I've, um, I've uh, sort of coined a phrase, um, Greg's evangelism. And the reason is, at one o'clock, if you go and preach in the town centre at one o'clock... Most days, outside of Greg's, you'll find a long queue of people waiting to buy their sandwiches, a captive congregation, to hear the gospel. Um, but don't tell Greg's I said that. Um, <laughs> in the gates, where the people go, where, they, where there's constrictions, where they have to pass through, wisdom cries, cries out and uh, uh, sets herself there. And for us, wisdom, of course, is preaching the gospel. In the city, we read... Um, and uh, verse 21 there of Proverbs 1. In the city she uttereth her words, saying, City of London, cities around us. Of course, that doesn't have to be cities. It can be towns or villages. Top of the high places. Let me see if that was uh, in Proverbs 8 now. In Proverbs 8 we read, Doth not wisdom cry, and understanding put forth her voice. She standeth in the top of the high places, by the way in the places of the paths. And so we shouldn't be ashamed of open-air evangelism. We shouldn't be ashamed of going out with the gospel, of lifting up our voices, of declaring the gospel, of speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, and doing so uh, with hearts, I pray, by the grace of God, because all of these things are dependent upon the grace of God, with hearts filled with love, which comes from the throne of grace. So places and paths at the gates, and at the entry of the city, and... Also in Proverbs 8 there, at the coming in at the doors. So we can go out, we can have strong confidence. Doth not wisdom cry? 
Oh, you're a fool to go out. Wait till people come in. No, does not wisdom cry out there, out there where the people are? Now again, I, I, I have, this, this last week, I've preached only twice in the last week in the open air, but I've had absolute freedom to preach the gospel. And I've been very thorough in my preaching. So there are those who say, well, we can't do it anymore. And, and this. Now, I, I recognize that one of the reasons I can preach the gospel is because others have been arrested in the last couple of years. Lots of men have been arrested preaching the gospel and some have court cases. Um, and that hasn't happened to me. In fact, in Hull last year, um, I, I was preaching and uh, three police officers walked very slowly towards me and they came up to me and they said, I said to them, I said, putting my hands out so they could put the cuffs on, I said, aren't you going to arrest me then? Oh no, sir, we're just here to defend your freedom of speech. What? <laughs> um, and and, and that, there's a story behind that. There was an open air preacher who, in the year prior to that, had been arrested about five times in the open air in Hull. Um, David McConnell, and he was, uh, very, he's been ably defended by the Christian Legal Center. But every time he got arrested, he, he was very versant with the law, and every time he got arrested and got put in a police van, he would lecture the police on the law, that he wasn't breaking the law, and if people were standing there and throwing things at him and becoming aggressive and violent, that it was their duty to control them, not him. And if they were misbehaving, they shouldn't be arresting him for their misbehavior. And so this man... He was arrested repeatedly, and I know, because I know him, that this, this, was, this was really, really traumatic for him and his household, his family. So it wasn't an easy thing, and, 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 and yet I, I had freedom to preach, absolute freedom to preach, because this man taught the police the law, and the police came out and they supported me. And, and, um, and that, that's, that, that's, so it wasn't without price, but somebody else paid that price, but I had absolute freedom to preach the gospel. Uh, yesterday I preached... Sorry, two days ago, I preached the gospel in Kidderminster uh, and a town that's seen many revivals over the centuries and which we pray would see revival again. But I had absolute freedom and liberty to preach the gospel. And uh, there, there, uh, I went two weeks ago, I went, out, I went down to Kidderminster and uh, there was a busker in my normal spot. And we don't own the streets, so we can't really say, move on, this is my place. So I just leave it in the Lord. And I went around the corner and I thought, well, this is a really poor spot, but I'll preach anyway. And I've never known a situation yet where I preach the gospel in the open air and God hasn't used it. So I was preaching in this almost empty street. And um, I was opposite a college. I noticed the windows were open, but they were blacked out, so I couldn't see anything. And eventually I was preaching and two men came out and they were lecturers in the college and they said, please will you move? Because none of our students will listen to our lectures. They're all standing around the windows listening to your preaching. <laughs> and I've never, if we go out and we say, Lord, like, like, like uh, the, the disciples who said, uh, we've caught nothing all night. Nevertheless, at your word, Lord, we will cast the net on the other side. If we go out confident that God will use it and leave the results in God's hands and trust him that this is his word and we are his servants, then God will use us. Now, I'm very aware that not everybody can do the things that God has called me to do. And, it's, and I can't do the things you're called to do. We all have different gifts and God's given them to us. And it's not a question of us doing things we can't do. Um, it's a question of doing what we can do for the Lord. It's a question of, 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 of it's a look, God looks at the heart, doesn't he? It's not a question of mechanically doing X, Y, or Z. It's a question of being driven by love for the Lord Jesus Christ.
driven by a desire to glorify his name, driven by his work and uh, his love and desiring his glory and desiring the salvation of sinners. Father, we ask and pray that you would help all of us to serve the Lord Jesus Christ in these days. And Lord, uh, Father, we would seek to persuade you to rend the heavens and come down, to turn the tide in our land, to turn the tide in our nation. And oh, Father, quicken us in our prayers, Lord. Quicken us in our confidence in your gospel. And quicken us in our desire to make the Lord Jesus Christ and his glory and his gospel and his salvation. And the love that we know and have experienced and received and the forgiveness of our sins quicken us in our desire that that would be made known and that would go forth. And Father, if it be said that you will not pour out your spirit, let it not be said that we were not earnest in seeking you, earnest in seeking to persuade you, to, 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 to turn the tide, Lord, to arise, to remember the word that's been preached, to remember those students who stood around the windows, Lord, that the word wouldn't be snatched from their hearts, by Satan, Lord, but that the word would go deep into good soil and bring its fruit. And, O oh Lord, our God, help us to use our gifts for your glory. Shed your love abroad in our hearts. Show us the greatness of our salvation. Show us the wretchedness of ourselves in our sins and, the, and, and that it took the death of Jesus Christ to deliver us from our sins and to deliver us from the wrath to come. And oh, Father, may we, may we love him more and may we be compelled with a desire to glorify and honour your name, Father, his name, by loving those around us who are perishing. Amen. Oh, Father, have mercy upon us and use us in these days and forgive us for our many sins, Lord. But oh, Lord, we pray that you would have mercy upon England in these days and these other nations, Lord. Have mercy. And oh, Lord, turn the tide. And, have, uh, and, 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 and Father, rend the heavens and come down. And so we commend ourselves to you now, eternal God. We commend ourselves to you now, heavenly Father, in the precious and lovely name of the Lord Jesus Christ, our Saviour. Amen. Amen. Amen.